You are listening to the Less Drama, More Mama podcast, episode 216, Triggers and Trauma with Jen Lumenlun. This is Less Drama, More Mama, the podcast for moms who want to feel calm, in control, and confident about how to handle anything life throws their way. If you're ready to go from feeling frazzled and disrespected to feeling calm and connected, this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Pam Howard. Hey there, Mama. Welcome to another edition of the Less Drama, More Mama podcast. I'm super excited to share my interview with you today. But first, let me remind you that I'm hosting a free workshop on Friday, October 7th about the secret to gaining your kids' respect. I'm willing to bet you haven't heard this advice before. Respect is the foundation of healthy relationships. We want our kids to be respectful and to know what it means to be in a respectful relationship so that they have that as a standard for themselves with friends, with romantic relationships, with coworkers and bosses. And so how can we teach that at home? That's what I want to share with you in this workshop. It's going to be Friday, October 7th from noon to 1 p.m. Eastern. And to get the information, you've got to be on my email list. So head to lessdramamoremama.com forward slash subscribe if you're not already on my list. Today's guest on the podcast is Jen Lumenlen, the host of the Your Parenting Mojo podcast, which is a reference guide for parents of young children based on scientific research and the principles of respectful parenting. In each episode, Jen examines a topic related to parenting and child development from all sides to help parents understand how to make decisions about raising their children. Jen lives in California with her husband and daughter. In this interview, Jen and I talk about the impact of different types of trauma on our reactions as parents and how understanding our needs and our children's needs can help us in situations where we feel triggered. If you're on my email list, you've already received Jen's free resource called The Real Reasons Why You Feel Triggered by Your Child's Behavior. If you're not on my email list, I've included this resource in today's show notes at lessdramamoremama.com forward slash 216. And there's also a link there to join Jen's 10-week course called Taming Your Triggers. In full disclosure, I'm an affiliate for Jen's program. So when you use my link to join, I'll get compensated at no extra cost to you. And to sweeten the deal, those of you who do sign up using my link will be invited to two group coaching calls with me as a free bonus. So listen to this episode, and if you like what you hear, go check out those links in today's show notes. Okay, without further ado, here's my interview with Jen Lumenlin. So Jen, welcome to Less Drama, More Mama. So happy you're here. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah. Why don't we start by having you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and how you got to doing what you do. Yeah. So I never thought I'd be a parent. <laughs> never really? wanted to be a parent. I had no desire to be a parent. Didn't even like okay. children very much. <laughs> um, and I'm sure you're not alone. I'm sure you're in, in the people listening right. to this podcast. Yeah. Exactly. Um, eventually decided I didn't want to be responsible for the biggest disappointment in my husband's life because he did want to. <laughs> 
He didn't mm-hmm. force me into it, but I, I made the decision myself and uh, we got pregnant and had our daughter who is now eight years old. And I realized I have basically zero parenting intuition, but I have really good research skills. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so not long after she was born, I thought I can close the gaps in the former by using the latter. And so I started looking around for uh, scientific research on parenting and child development because that's what I knew. That was my background. And I wasn't really finding anything. You know, every, every time I saw something referenced online about some study that was done, it wouldn't give you any context about whether that supported or refuted the last 10 years of research on this topic. Mm-hmm. And that was what I wanted to know. Like, is this an outlier or does this confirm everything that's gone before it? Um, and so I thought, okay, maybe I can do better than this. Went back to school for a master's in psychology, focused on child development. And as I was doing that, I started the Your Parenting Mojo podcast, which um, was basically sharing what I was learning with other people as I was learning it. <laughs> wow, that's so cool. Yeah. So what, so what are some, can you give us just like a couple of examples of what you were finding? What, what, oh, what sure. were the things that you were researching and finding? Um, I mean, I guess... So there, there was a there were a lot of surprises, right? Um, I mean, conventional parenting wisdom says your kid needs to eat vegetables, mm-hmm. and you should probably reward them with dessert to make sure the vegetables go down. Mm-hmm. And the research is actually super clear that the only predictor of the amount of vegetables that children will eat is whether they like vegetables. But when you put dessert at the back end and make vegetables what are called a gateway food in the literature, uh, the children end up liking the gateway food less and liking dessert more. So so I don't like to use sort of military metaphors for parenting, but in this case, you really are winning the battle because you're getting the vegetables in, but you are losing the war (laughs) in every other way because you're probably not helping your child to like vegetables more, which is probably not going to get them to eat more vegetables in the long run. So this sort of emblematic of the kinds of things that I would find as I was doing this research. And then, of course, as I've gone further in, um, I've realized that the, the research is really embedded in the ways that we view children in the world, which is not necessarily in a very positive light. And it sort of confirms some of the, the challenges and the way that we exist in our society uh, because the researchers are also embedded in that society. And so mm-hmm. now I sort of try and take a step back and, and look at that with a bit of critique and say, well, do we actually want our society to be like this? Mm-hmm. Or is it hurting a lot of people? And actually, maybe we want to choose to do things differently. Oh, I love that. So the podcast mm-hmm. is steeped in research. And tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I re- I usually read between 20 and 40 studies, scientific studies for each episode. It takes a week to two weeks to prepare. A yeah, me too. Me too. No, just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, only 30 to 40? What? <laughs> but here's the thing. You know, I love doing it. This, this, this is fun for me. Um, and so it, it, it makes it unique because nobody else is silly enough to do that amount of work on a podcast episode, but I actually enjoy it. Like, I want to find out what does this mean? What is this about? Mm -hmm. I I want to know it for myself, for my own child. And also I want to be able to help other parents to make decisions who, who really want to know what, what is the outcome here? What do I believe when I'm looking at all of this? Um, and, and to have somebody else do all that work for them instead of actually having to be the one who waits through all that literature. Mm-hmm. All right. So I was very interested in having you on the show 
specifically to talk about, um, you know, I'm always talking about how to reduce emotional reactivity and how that's really one of our biggest enemies as parents is when we lose it with our kids. Mm -hmm. And, but I haven't talked much about the role of trauma Mm -hmm. in, in why we react the way that we do. And I know that's something that you talk about a lot. And so I thought, huh, you know, I would love for somebody else to come on and talk about that. So um, can you talk about big T trauma, little T trauma? What is that? What's the difference? And how does it play into um, the way we show up as parents? Yeah, it's it, it's really, understanding this can can be a really profound shift for parents because when I first meet a lot of parents who are struggling with this, the first thing, actually this came from a question that a parent asked me once is, is when will my child grow out of this thing that drives me nuts? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so parents usually come to me wanting to know, how do I get my child to stop doing this thing that's driving me up the wall? And it's a really incredible shift to uh, to support parents and understanding this stuff isn't coming from the thing your child is doing. This stuff is coming from the fact that your child is doing something, which is most likely age appropriate, that is in some way touching something in you that hurts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so what are some of the reasons that those things hurt? Well, um, yeah, psychologists divide these up into what's called big T trauma, little t trauma. And, uh, and then I also talk a little bit about the trauma of unmet needs, which we can get to as well. So, so wait, let me just pause for a minute. So when yeah. you say this stuff is coming up, you mean this, the, the anger, the frustration, yes. the, the big okay. reaction, the parents, big having, reaction. whatever that is. Right. And, and so okay. what so, are some of those reactions? Yeah. So in other words, that's not because of whatever it is your kid is doing. It's because yes. of what, what it's triggering in you based on your past. Exactly. Is that right? yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. So, so those reactions for a lot of parents are big, right? It's it's anger. It's shouting. It's stop mm-hmm. doing that. It's uh, slamming doors. It may even be hitting or spanking or something like that. Um, that's a, a really big sort of fight reaction. Mm-hmm. We may also see parents having a flight reaction, right? We're just gonna get ourselves out of that situation as fast as we can. Um, whether that is physically, I'm leaving the room, or whether that's kind of mentally, emotionally, I'm just checking out. I'm not here anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but another reaction we often see is freeze, right? So, so maybe, um, you, you don't, you just don't know what to do. It's almost like having a, a foot on the accelerator and on the brake at the same time and just feeling completely caught and, and there's no processing that can happen. Everything just shuts down. And then more recently, scientists have added this, this fourth, uh, sort of category of fawning, and very often we see that in parents who have experienced some kind of abuse as children and uh, the fawning, the, you know, tell me what to do to make it stop is something that was very adaptive when they were growing up, that they used to try to placate the person who was instigating that. And now when their child has a tantrum, it's like, okay, 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 you can have the ice cream, you can have the ice cream, right? Just anything to make the crying stop. Mm-hmm. But those are the kinds of reactions that parents may be having um, to their children's age-appropriate behavior. And do we tend to, you know, gravitate towards one of those four reactions, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, or does it depend on the situation? 
A lot of it depends on your personality, on the thing your child is doing, on the thing that happened to you when you were a child, right? So, so we were we started talking about the the, the origins of this in trauma. Um, so, so let's talk a little bit about the big T and little T trauma, and then we can kind of tie it back to the the ways that parents are responding. Mm-hmm. So, um, there was a big study done in California in the 1990s uh, where it was done at a, a health insurance company called Kaiser Permanente, and they basically surveyed a lot of their members and found out. Uh, what are some of the health challenges that you're having and what kinds of trauma did you experience as a child? And so um, what they found was that there are people who were having a lot of health struggles in the present had very often experienced a lot of trauma in their past. And so they were able to generate this list of major traumas that became known as big T traumas. And this is, you know, really big things like witnessing death, Mm -hmm. um, having a parent die. Um, you know, really, really big things. And of course, this is a non-exclusive list. This is basically what people who had insurance in San Diego in the 1990s said <laughs> was, right. was relevant to them. And so there's a whole swath of people that this leaves out. Mm-hmm. Um, if effects of poverty, uh, racism, all those kinds of things that can be really big are completely ignored in, in this kind of study. Um, and so, so those are the, some of the really big stuff. And then there's the little stuff that at the, on its surface, you're like, is that really a big deal? Things like moving house, especially frequently, changing schools, being bullied, it compounds. It makes these things more difficult. Um, and so, what we often see is when a child, you know, this this parent who's experienced this trauma as a child is now grown up, and their child starts doing similar things, uh, or even gets to the same age that they were when this incredibly difficult thing happened to them all of a sudden there starts to be reactions there <laughs> that yeah. weren't there before, before the child got to that age and started doing those things. Okay. So do all of these big reactions that we have, do they all originate in trauma? I, I would say yes and no. Um, certainly not Not everything comes from the sort of classic big T, little T trauma that we've just talked about. Those do explain a lot of things for a lot of people. But I also work with parents who are like, you know, my parents were basically good people. They basically raised me what I considered to be pretty well. They never hit me. They didn't deliberately humiliate me. Um, I don't understand why I'm still screaming at my child. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and that sort of links to what I have sort of come to call the trauma of unmet needs. And the way that I see this happening is that we all live in a culture where things like white supremacy and patriarchy and capitalism are kind of rule how we can show up in the world. And our parents, whether they fully understood it or not, implicitly saw that. And they saw the kinds of characteristics that you need to have to be successful in that world. And they wanted the best for us and they wanted us to be successful. And so they tried to shape us to be successful in that world. And so that may have looked like things like um, oh, you know, when, your art's really cool, but it's never going to pay the bills. So when are you going to buckle down and actually get some schoolwork done, right? So completely negating a kind of a life passion mm-hmm. uh, and, and what could have ended up being a productive career. That, uh, that hits home. That oh, hits does? home okay. right there, yeah. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> well, I've talked about this on the podcast before that like when I was trying to choose my major in college mm-hmm. and I called my dad and I said, dad, I think I really love, criminology. Like I was taking this great class and he said, oh no, 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 that's, that's not safe. You don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. And then I went back to him a little later and I said, okay, dad, dad, I really want to do like 
Judaic studies, I think I said, and he, and he said, what are you going to do? Work in a gift shop? Right. How and then feel? How, how did you feel in that moment? Oh, so, um, defeated. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, then it happened a third time where I think I said something to him about dance or I don't know, I was just trying on all these different things. I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, he said, well, you'll be out of a job by the time you're 30, all, all the reasons. And so finally, I just ended up picking sociology as my major and not telling him until it was already chosen. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. what were you seeking for him, right? Like validation, approval? Approval for sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, so you, you wanted the sense of belonging with him. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. 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 You wanted to feel as though he believed in you. He believed in your decision. He believed you were doing the right thing. Yeah. And I know now that he meant well, like you said, you know, he just wanted me to have a good life and a good paying job and all of that. Yeah. But the way that it came across was so icky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and that hurt you, right? That yeah. that wasn't what any psychologist would call a big T or even a little T trauma. But it still hurt, right? I see it in your yeah. face. We have the, our video cameras on. I hear it yeah. in your face as well. It hurt. And, and that yeah. was how many years ago now? <laughs> too many, too many. Yeah, right? And, and yeah. so your oldest child is getting to the age where she's starting to make career decisions. And at some point, she's probably going to start exploring topics that are really meaningful to her that may not be very lucrative, that in a capitalist society are not the best choice. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and something in you is going to get touched. And, yeah. and you're going to remember, oh yeah, I, I needed acceptance and love and validation and support when I went through this process and I didn't get that. And that still hurts for me today. And somehow I have to figure out a way to heal that in myself mm-hmm. and also support my child in the way that I wish I had been supported. And that's super hard. Yeah. Great, great example. <laughs> I, I hit on the first one without even yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And so that, that's, that's one example, right? And, and this happened in so many other ways, the comments about our bodies, the comments about what we eat, the comments about the things, how we spend our time, about uh, whether or not we persist with things. Uh, I mean, it's, it surrounds us and they did this because they loved us and they wanted to see us succeed. And yet we saw that uh, it, it was almost like the ticket to belonging. We, we want belonging with these people who love us so much that we're willing to set aside, okay, criminology, I guess, I guess it's not that important to me after all. I'm going to set it aside. I'm not going to do that because belonging in this family is so important to me. And you kept trying, right? You kept trying to find ways that you could do things you loved and also belong. And you were strong. You, you made a choice that said, I'm going to do this thing that's really important to me. And, and I don't care what the blowback's going to be. A lot of people are not able to do that. They say, okay, well, then tell me what to do. And, or, uh, okay, I know that business is, is probably going to end up being a good major. So I'll just do that. Um, and they set aside all of those things about themselves that they really wanted to explore that was really true to them because they wanted to belong in this family so much. Yeah. Um, and what we're trying to do by interrupting this basically what's the cycle of intergenerational trauma is, uh, is to heal from that ourselves and to be in a relationship with our children where they don't have to cast aside some part of themselves to change a part of themselves and, uh, or mold that to be acceptable to us so that they can feel like they belong with us. But here's the thing. Here's my question. Like if our parents meant well, and they were just loving us and trying to, you know, help us guide us through and, and we're doing that for our kids. Like, 
won't they, isn't it inevitable that they're going to receive the me- our messages in a way that, you know, they think, oh, I need therapy now because my parents <laughs> said this or did that, right? And it didn't land the way that we had intended it. Yeah. And, and we're never going to do it perfectly. And, yeah. and I, I guess I personally don't uh, look to whether or not my child en- ends up in therapy as a measure <laughs> of my success as a parent. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because then there's sort of this real line in the sand, but if she ever makes that phone call, then I've failed, right? And that reflects yeah. probably on me. Um, but what we can do is uh, is this framework that I use of, of understanding a person's needs. Like, why is the child doing this thing that is maybe driving me out the wall if I'm feeling flooded by it? Um, I'm having this really big response, uh, or so, so, so I'm looking to understand what is their need. And I'm also looking to understand what is my need? What need am I trying to meet? Maybe it's related to this sense of belonging that I wish I had when I was a child. Maybe there's something going on for me today, um, mm-hmm. that I also need to address. And I take my responsibility for that. Um, I, I work to heal myself if that is something that I need to do. Um, also, I show up in the present today as a person with needs that have just as much weight as our child's needs. But but I really think that the piece that was missing for you and for all of us was this consideration for our child's needs, right? Your parent was not looking at you and saying, what is my child need? Why, why is my child interested in criminology? And how can I support that, right? Nobody was saying that about you. Nobody was no. saying that to me either. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, like, and tell so, me more. Tell me tell me why yes. criminology. There was no yes. discussion of that, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and maybe there was some field related to criminology that would have satisfied your parents' need to... Uh, I mean, he's basically looking for your safety, right? He, he wants to know that you're safe and secure. And in our capitalist society, having money is a way that we try to buy safety and security. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so if he had understood more about what that was, maybe that's the related field that you should have gone into that would have helped if if you wanted to help him satisfy his yeah. needs. I mean, adult. I thought sociology was pretty related. I think criminology <laughs> was part of my sociology, you know, track or whatever. So I think it was a little bit related, but yeah, but possibly hasn't been the most lucrative career from your father's <laughs> perspective is my hunch. Well, I'm a life coach, so yeah. yeah I mean. <laughs> so so it, it could have it could have been. I mean, you could have been a white collar corporate um, executive by now, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and then you would have life insurance, health insurance, and all of that stuff as part of a very very lucrative package. Yeah. Um, so, but you know what? It 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 has come full circle because recently, you know, he has told me um, he's almost eighty. He's mm-hmm. told me how proud he is of me and and you know the work that I do and. Yeah. It, you know, and it meant so much to me when he said it, because I really hadn't thought that he thought that way at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was the validation you were seeking. Yes. And, and, and what if, what if that life insurance, that health insurance, that multi-million dollar compensation package isn't mm-hmm. actually the be all and end all. Not only is it not that, but it doesn't even represent very much security. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. And, and that doing something that you love and that you're passionate about is in the end, a much more rewarding place to be spending your time, which is what you ended up doing. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so I think that if we ourselves can keep our eye, not only on our needs, but also on our child's needs, mm-hmm. that's what gets us out of the, um, well, my kid is just going to see me saying whatever. Uh, and, and is it doesn't meet their needs either because maybe we miss, maybe we can't meet our child's every need. We're not perfect. None of us is perfect. I'm not perfect. Um, 
but we are trying. And because of that, we're going to get a whole lot further than our parents were able to do with us. And are there specific needs that you talk about? Because uh, like you mentioned, for me, it was this need for belonging, right? And so what are some other needs that parents can be thinking like, what is this unmet need about? Yeah. What are we looking for? Yeah, yeah. With children, there can be some fairly common ones, actually, that show up fairly predictably. Um, belonging is sort of a, a, an overarching term that I think becomes more and more important as the child gets older. But really, what they're looking for, for with you and from you when they're little is connection, right? Mm-hmm. They, they love you. They, you are everything to them. You, you have other friends. You maybe have a spouse. You have other people in your life that you can go to for validation and support. Your child has you. (laughs) And so that connection to you is everything. And that sort of sits within that belonging umbrella. And so we often see that as we perceive it as, well, they're just looking for attention, right? They, They just want our attention. When if we can reframe that and see that as a need for connection, then... Uh, maybe there are ways that we can meet that need for connection. While also, if we can understand what's my need here, how can I meet that need too, right? One one way that we love to do this at our house is when my daughter's looking for connection and uh, I am looking for movement and exercise, right? I want to move my body. Um, I, I might do an exercise DVD in our bedroom mm-hmm. and she will build a fort out of the duvet and she will hide and jump out and surprise me during the breaks between sets. Okay. <laughs> And so we're, and, and she'll sort of, you know, sneak around and pretend to jump out and, and I'll be like, oh my goodness, I didn't see you mm-hmm. over there. And so we're, we're getting this playful connection time at the same time as I'm getting my exercise. And when, so when we can see our children's needs in that way, it's not just, oh, you have a need for connection. I don't have time because I, I, I want to exercise. It's how can we see how to meet both of these needs? So connection is mm-hmm. a super important one. Another important one for young children is autonomy, right? They, they, we tell them, we spend so much of our time telling them what to do, how, what to do, how to do it, when to do it. We spend our whole lives uh, and then telling them they're not doing it right. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so, so many children just want to have some say over what happens in their lives. And so when, when we can grant them that, then they're usually much more willing to come towards us when it really counts. So one exercise that I love to have parents do is um, count how many limits they set in a day. Ooh. <laughs> and, and that is, is usually fairly eye-opening. I've yet to meet a parent who's done that exercise for the first time and has not found it eye-opening. Yeah. And, and so you realize, firstly, that most of these limits you're setting are pretty arbitrary. They're not connected to any values that you have. They're almost reflexive. It's just like, stop doing that. Mm. And when we can instead see, wait, what's the reason why I don't want them to do that? Oh, I'm worried about their safety. Is there a way we can make this safe? Mm-hmm. Or if we did it somewhere else, could it be safe? Or if it's annoying me, could I remove myself from the situation, right? That's often a, parent, a solution that parents don't think about is, what if I move to another room instead yeah. of what if the child moves to another room? So we, we can, we, when, we, uh, when we can use this language of needs, then we find ways to meet both of our needs. Uh, in ways that previously had seemed impossible. Yeah, love that. That's very helpful. Um, another term that I've heard a lot is uh, co-regulation, right? We hear a lot about kids regulating their emotions, parents regulating their emotions, but what is co-regulation and how do we do it? 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I think parents see this most clearly when they have an infant. And when you have a very, very young baby, it, it's much more obvious that if you are coming to your baby who is dysregulated, who is crying, who is you know really having a hard time, and you're soothing them, you're patting them, you're holding them, you're really expressing your closeness and connection with them, and that helps them to re-regulate. That's basically what co-regulation is. It's one person supporting another in regulating themselves. Uh, and so we willingly do that for infants. We expect them to cry. We expect to have a role in soothing them. And I think we can struggle as our children get older because we, for some reason, we seem to have this idea that all of a sudden, maybe we see a child do something once and we're like, okay, you need, now you've done it once, you can do it forever. Right. <laughs> and by yourself. Yes. And, and so somehow we get this idea that children should be able to regulate their own emotions by themselves, um, that they shouldn't have to use our support to do that. And, and this results in a massive gap of expectations. Actually, the organization Zero to Three ran a survey. It was a while ago now, um, talking about, I, I was asking parents, um, at what age do you think a child should be able to uh, stop having a tantrum when, when they're upset by themselves? And parents, like, uh, I think like 40% of parents said they should be able to do this by age one. And half of parents said they should be able to do this by age two. And actually, children can start to do this, start to do this between the ages of around three and four. And it's still a developing skill from there. Um, and so we have this huge expectations gap of uh, what our children are actually able to do by themselves and what we expect them to be able to do. And so they need our support when they're having a hard time. And so if we see them having a hard time and we're instead exploding ourselves and like, why are you having a tantrum? You're three. You shouldn't be doing this anymore. Put your shoes on. Make That's that co-dysregulation. Exactly. Is that a thing? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. You're getting on a downward spiral yeah. where you're each antagonizing the other. Uh -huh. um, and, and, and that makes everything harder for everyone. Um, and and it's, it's, we may have some empathy for our children when we see ourselves. We're, we're basically having our own tantrum, right? Yeah. I was going to say, when you, when you said, what's the age? I'm like, I know adults. Do tantrum regularly. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> exactly. And and so we we have these moments where we feel what, what's called flooded when it's just like, I'm just losing it. Um, and 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 so we expect our children to stop doing what they're doing so that we don't feel flooded anymore. But we're essentially having that same response. So if you can look at your child and think, oh my goodness, they're overwhelmed right now. They are completely flooded. Um, they are not able to regulate themselves just as I was not able to regulate myself when I shouted a minute ago have some empathy for them and then support them through that process. Um, and, and so I, I teach a lot of uh, tools related to, we, we call it creating the pause. Like how, how do you start getting out of that cycle where you're screaming at your kid, your kid's screaming at you, whoever screams first, it's almost mm -hmm. like it doesn't matter. Um, but creating that pause between this, uh, this event that happened that seems as though it's going to prompt you to do something you're going to regret later and then what it is that actually comes out of your mouth. And, and right now it may seem like there is no distance between those two things, that the thing happens and then the thing comes out of your mouth and, and they're so close together, there's no light between them. But if you keep focusing on it, keep creating that space, space for a breath, space to reappraise the situation and say, okay, the world is not ending right now. <laughs> What's most important to me, that my relationship with my child is the most important to me. We are having a hard time. Mm -hmm. And then 
moving from there into comforting your child. And so then you can start to regulate yourself so that you can help your child to regulate too. Yeah, I, I've have definitely done that where my kids have seen me stop and say, I'm breathing, I'm breathing, you know, or or I say sometimes, give me strength, <laughs> you know, like a little prayer. But it does, it creates that little pause where I can yeah. just calm down a little, enough to take the next step. Yeah, yeah, to see that they weren't really trying to drive you up the wall, that they didn't intentionally break the whatever it was, that they were doing the best they could. Mm-hmm. And then from there, once you're in that pause, you can see that, right? Up to that point, yeah. I was like, why are you doing this? Just stop doing it. Yeah. And now it's like, okay, I see this was an accident. What are we going to do from here? Yeah. And it definitely gets easier the more you practice. Definitely. So let's talk about, um, I actually just got an email today from a woman, a mom who um, was asking me for some advice. And I thought, let's, I'll read it to you. And we can kind of talk about how to maybe help her or give her some guidance uh, through this framework. So she told me that her son uh, was diagnosed with ADHD and ODD, which is oppositional defiant disorder. And, uh, you know, they're both struggling. She said everything, everything she requests of him is met with no. Uh, he got kicked out of camp and isn't doing well in his after school program. She says, my brain has a lot of thoughts about this and just uh, thinks, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say, how to help him. Any suggestions? Mm. Yeah. So she she was remarkably restrained as she described that. Um, mm. I'm guessing there's a whole lot of big feelings going on there for her. Yeah. He's been kicked out. He's never going to be able to succeed. This is my fault. I did something wrong. Uh, the, our brains, research on um, it, how our overactive left brains will make up stories that are very often not based in any kind of reality to try and help us make sense of the situation that we're in. And so my guess is that this this parent is uh, telling herself a whole lot of stories about what this means, what the implications of this are, mm-hmm. uh, that that sort of fit with other things that she knows, um, but that may not be actually related to what has happened. So I, I think that's sort of the first thing to keep in mind is that um, when we can approach the situation in a different way and perhaps make a non-judgmental observation um, and say, you know, my, my child isn't going to be able to go to camp anymore, um, then we, we kind of, for uh, just a minute, take away some of that, the really big emotions that are attached to it and, and make it into something that is that feels a bit more manageable. Yeah, the uh, way I like to describe it is separating out the facts from the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So getting really factual about, okay, you know, camp isn't, isn't letting him back next summer yeah. or, you know, his after school program. Is that what you said? After school? Um, yeah. He's not doing well in after school program, which isn't necessarily factual. So really getting clear on what exactly. does that mean? Yeah. How do we know he isn't doing well in after yeah. school? What does that right. mean? What, what are, what behaviors is he exhibiting? Yeah. Um, and uh, what, what are people observing? in the mm-hmm. after-school program. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that, that's what we're trying to do there, absolutely. Um, and, and then we can start to look at the, the feelings of the people involved. And um, my this parent clearly wants what's best for her child um, and, and is probably having a whole lot of feelings herself about, um, you know, maybe feeling frustrated, maybe even a little bit angry, like, why is he doing this? 
um, and maybe some overwhelm, like how am I going to cope? What am I going to do? Some confusion. There's a whole lot of, whole lot of feelings going on there for her. Mm-hmm. And then for him, we, we don't know. I mean, just, we don't know either. Of, I don't know either of these folks, but I'm sort of going to hypothesize. There's probably some anger there. Uh, maybe he's been asked to do some things that he didn't want to do. And so that was why he, he did some things that then led to, to him not being allowed back. So my, my hunch is that, that he, he did some behaviors that indicated that he's feeling angry. Mm-hmm. Um, he may be feeling frustrated as well. He may be feeling ashamed of something. Maybe he's not able to uh, to cooperate with the the program in the way that they are requiring that he cooperate. Mm-hmm. And so, to cover up that feeling of shame, he may be acting out in a way that looks a lot like anger. So we don't know for sure, but those are some of the things that I would hypothesize is going on. Do you have any sense at all? Yeah. That? No, I was gonna I was gonna mention the shame as well. So that's where my brain went to. Um, yeah. the other, the other emotion that I thought maybe the mom might be feeling is just anxiety, yeah. uh, worry over the future and what's going to happen to him. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, so then we can start to look at, well, what, what are the needs of the people involved here? And, mm-hmm. uh, the, the parent probably wants to feel some sort of, uh, sense of competence as a parent, right. Wants, wants to feel competent herself and also have other people perceiver is competent. And there's probably a whole lot of feelings of like, well, I'm being judged right now happening. And, and that's not pleasant. Nobody likes that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that feeling of competence is really important. Um, and it, a sense that uh, I'm doing what's best for my child, right? That, that my child is, is, is loved and supported and also a sense of ease for myself, right? I, I don't, I'm going to have to search out new camps and new after school programs and I don't have time for this and I'm overwhelmed as it is. And I just want a sense of ease and harmony and maybe even collaboration with my son. If, if he's uh, oppositional defiant disorder and that stuff's going on with other people, chances are it's going on at home as well. And there's mm-hmm. a, a whole lot of disharmony happening. Yeah. So, so probably some real needs there related to ease and collaboration and partnership. And then for the child. Uh, I mean, if he, if he's, you said ADHD, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so, so probably there's a lot of behavior that is, uh, basically expressing, I, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to meet these demands that you're putting on me. And so I'm going to do something else. I'm going to move my body in this way that is not acceptable to you. I'm going to say something that looks, uh, unacceptable to you. and. Um, and so he probably has a, a need for competence himself. Like I, I, I can be good at something. Yeah, right. <laughs> a need for autonomy uh, to to be able to say I get to choose what happens when he may be in an environment where he's constantly being told do this, do that. I mean, even more than quote unquote a neurotypical child, this child is probably constantly being told what to do and feels very little sense of autonomy over his own life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's probably other needs going on there as well, but just to sort of stick with a short list for the purpose of discussion, if we can support that child in meeting those needs, if we can figure out, well, why is this hard for you? Is it because you can't sit still for more than five minutes at a stretch? Well, then what can we do to make that easier for you? Could we get a bouncy chair? Could you be allowed to stand at the back of the room? Um, how can we help you to meet that need for movement if that is a need of yours? So you can also meet your need for competence. So you're not expressing this in a way that is 
societally unacceptable to us. We can meet the child's need. And then along with that comes meeting a lot of the parents' needs, right? For ease and harmony and, and all those things. Um, because the child is now able to participate in ways that previously they weren't able to participate. And so do you have a conversation with your child? I guess it depends on their age, um, but it sounds like definitely coming at it from a feeling of curiosity and, and exploration instead of, instead of just, this is horrible and my kid's horrible or I'm horrible, really uh, being curious about what's going on and, and what the needs are. And then would you suggest involving your child in that conversation? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're the only person who truly knows what their feelings and needs are. <laughs> okay. And so if your child is on the younger side, then you're going to have to supply a lot more of this, right? Like I work with a lot of parents who have two-year-olds who are refusing to brush their teeth. Yeah. And so you, you're not asking your child, child, what are you feeling about this? And, and what are your needs? And just <laughs> if you tell me that, I'll find a way to meet your needs. But you're you're kind of supplying that language for them. And, oh, it seems like you're feeling really frustrated right now and maybe even a little bit angry. And as they get older, they, they'll start to say, no, that's not it. I'm feeling whatever. And, and they'll correct you. Yeah. Or they'll kind of nod and say, yeah, I'm feeling angry. Um, and then, okay, I'm trying to understand what your needs are. And, and I'm thinking maybe um, you, you have a need for comfort. Like you, you don't like the way the toothbrushes feel, the, the bristles feel in your mouth right now. And that doesn't feel comfortable to you. And I'm trying to think, is there a way that we can make that more comfortable? And, and then, you know, looking at other needs as well. I'm wondering if you mm-hmm. have a, a need for kind of joy and fun. And is there a way we can make toothbrushing joy-filled and more fun? Um, so, so that, that's how we can start to work with a not with a nonverbal, less verbal child mm-hmm. with an older child. I mean, she's saying he's in an after school program. So I'm assuming he's at least, you know, six or seven probably. And absolutely we can come to this. If, if we're coming to this conversation with, you just got kicked out of your program and you need to get your act together because otherwise we're going to run out of, out of after school programs and that's not an option. Then, I mean, I'm just hearing myself say that and yeah. feeling myself kind of shut that's down, right? I, I don't want to be part of that conversation. Yeah. I, that's not going anywhere. That's good for me. Um, whereas if we are coming at this from a, I really want to understand what's happening. This is not your fault. This is not my fault. This is not anybody's fault. Can you help me understand what you were feeling when you said X to the teacher or when you did Y? And oh, I'm wondering if the teacher was feeling a and B. Okay. Now I'm starting to understand a bit more about the situation. I'm trying to understand what, what your needs might've been in this situation. Did you just want to be the one who said what happened to your body in that moment? Yeah. Need for autonomy. Or mm-hmm. did you just feel so you couldn't sit still for another moment? You need for movement. And so we're kind of translating what our child might be telling us into what are these underlying needs. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that, that sense of curiosity is critical to that process. Because if you go in with an already baked solution of you're going to change your behavior in this way, I mean, the child just shuts down. Yeah. I, I would shut down. What if you have a child who just keeps saying, I don't know, I don't know, you know, when you're trying to elicit the response from them, then what do you do? Or if they're, you're, you're making all these suggestions of how to help them and they just are, you know, shutting them all down. Yeah. Yeah. The chances are, if that's happening, it's because the child has learned over time that these conversations don't end up anywhere that actually benefits them. Mm. Uh, and, and I see parents inadvertently contributing to this when they start to learn these kinds of methods and they ask their child about their feelings and the child shares their feelings. And then the parent skips right over the needs and jumps straight to the solutions because they've gotten a bit of emotional investment. But because they haven't understood the need, your your solutions are essentially throwing spaghetti at the wall. And some of them might stick, but most of them won't. 
<laughs> and so the child's like, well, okay, well, I shared my feelings and the solution that my parent told me doesn't meet my needs anyway. So why am I going to do this again? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so it's really, really important to make sure that you understand what are each person's needs. And so the best way to start doing this, if you haven't been doing this all along, is to start with a low, lower stakes thing Mm-hmm. That is something that your child is primarily invested in. So this might be something like, you know, I want to eat an ice cream every day or something mm-hmm. like that, where it's something that you're, you may be willing to have happen. You've said no to it thus far, um, but you can see a, a path to it potentially happening. And, uh, and your child is the one who's really invested in this because then, uh, then they want to engage with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're taking the time to understand what are their feelings in each of these and what are our needs? Why am I worried about saying yes to this? What about this is making me feel uncomfortable? What might we need to put in place for me to feel comfortable with this? Oh, what like need that. is yours meeting of the, what, what need are you trying to meet? Mm-hmm. And are there other ways to meet that need? Um, and then moving forward, finding a solution that works for both of us. And then at the end, holding up a big flag and saying, we did it. Mm-hmm. We understood what our feelings were. We understood what our needs were. And we found a solution that works for both of us. And then when you get into more difficult situations, you can point back to that and say, do you remember when we both worked together to understand what was going on for each other? And we were able to find a way that works for both of us. I would love it if we could do it about this issue. I know it's a lot bigger. There's a lot more going on. We may have to try a few times, but I would love it if we can work together on this. Oh, having so that exciting. initial success starts to set up the possibility for the child like, oh, when, when I bring ideas that actually help meet my parents' need, my parent will take those on and we can actually do them. <laughs> and yeah. then they start to want to be invested in the process. Yeah, that's a great, great suggestion. I love that. So you are a wealth of information and how do people find out more about you and, and how to work with you? Yeah. Um, so the podcast is available. We've got uh, 150 plus research-based episodes, <laughs> all available at yourparentingmojo.com. And, and if you've been listening to this and uh, and thinking, yeah, I have these huge, overwhelming reactions to my child and I need, I want to, to do something differently, but I don't know how. I teach a course, a course called Taming Your Triggers. It's 10 weeks long. And what I find is that parents come to me thinking, okay, Jen's going to tell me the piece of information that I need that is going to unlock this for me. And once I have that nugget of information, I'm going to be able to do things differently with my child. The whole thing is going to be different. And it's actually really humbling to find that the the information I provide ends up being a small part of what uh, helps parents to make the shift, what actually helps them is being in community with other parents who are on this journey. Um, And I'm thinking of a particular example of a parent who had grown up with her own parent was an alcoholic. And so, you know, all kinds of family drama. um, Mm -hmm. Her her mother was not there for her in any way. And and of course, this parent is now triggered at her own child. Mm -hmm. And the very first day, everybody in the workshop is introducing themselves, talking about their triggers, why they're here, what their intentions are. And, and this parent is looking at these introductions. And for the first time, she's seeing her own mom through this lens mm-hmm. as a 20-something parent with a whole bunch of unresolved trauma who was just doing the best that she could. And she has what, what we call a non-cognitive shift where it's like it's, it, she didn't take on a different understanding in her head. It was actually in her body that she mm-hmm. suddenly understood for the first time that her mom was doing the best she could. And from that sprang forgiveness for her mom. And they had this amazing text conversation where she forgave her mom and her mom said, you know, this is a huge weight off my shoulders. And 
and now the parent is no longer as triggered by her child's behavior as she was before, because mm-hmm. all of this stuff she'd been carrying around for so long has been lifted from her. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get that through being in community with others, either in sort of the, the Facebook-like community, it's not actually on Facebook, um, or through being in a, a relationship with one or two other people, we call them accounter buddies, and they kind of but the official purpose is to kind of keep you on track and make sure you keep going through the workshop. But the the unofficial purpose is, I mean, this is your support team. This is, this is the people you reach out to when you're like, I yelled at my kid again and I said I wasn't going to do this anymore and I screwed up and I don't know what to do. And they're there for you with, with this non-judgment, with this acceptance, just like you are there for them when they screw up. Yeah. And in those kinds of relationships, people will find, oh, I can be real. This is not shameful that I that I shout at my child. Other people do it too. And and I can have compassion for myself and yeah. make plans to do things differently and put those plans in motion. I'm still going to screw up and that's okay. I'm human. And, and what we find is people come out of that course transformed and, and uh, much more able to be present. It's not like difficult things don't happen anymore. It's that right. when they happen, they're much more able to cope. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. You know, we didn't talk about the trauma and how that played into um, that email that I read, but I'm just I'm just w- wondering if we could circle back for one moment and yeah. what that mom, you know, does she now need to look at, okay, what is this triggering in me? And from my past, my son's constantly saying no to me and he's yeah. having all this these issues, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when I ask parents, you know, what would have happened if you said no to your parents? There's usually this, you know, sucking yeah. inflation and, and the memory of what would have happened to them if they oh. said no. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and so w- what we typically see is that, that when a child gets to the age where um, the parent themselves experience something difficult with their own, you know, in their own childhood, that's yeah. when things get really hard. So particularly if, you know, if this, this child today is seven, eight years old and around seven, eight years old, this parent had started to assert their own independence, their own autonomy, and had been slapped back again, mm-hmm. then, uh, you know, wh- what the child is doing today is is absolutely going to be not just touching, but poking and prodding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> at that trauma that that parent experienced by being slapped down and told that's not acceptable. Get back in your place. Don't talk back to me. Don't be your own person. Yeah. I can relate to that one too. Cause I remember when, when Marissa was young and I would get really filled with anxiety when she would make a mess, mm-hmm. even just spill water, anything yeah. I would be, I would, I would get so anxious and frustrated and yell. And my therapist at the time said, were you allowed to make messes as a child? Yeah. And I was like, oh, what? No, like it just like hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah. 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 I mean, that that's where this kind of stuff can come from. And so for some folks, just understanding that helps to make a shift. Just yeah. see. That, that was huge for me, right? I my my father went through a phase of lecturing me on my shortcomings when I was a teenager. And uh, to, I went through a long period of time where I could not stand to be interrupted. Um, I, I wasn't allowed to, to to answer. Like I would just stand there as he was yeah. lecturing me and 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 basically check out. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. there anymore. And so when I would be explaining something to my husband and he would interrupt me, I I was don't interrupt me. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were in the car one day and uh, my daughter was talking and I inadvertently spoke over her and she said, like, "Don't interrupt me." And she's like three at the time and my yeah. husband gave me side eye and he's like, "Should you?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so just understanding that for some people 
it makes a huge shift. For others, they need more support. And so that's why we have Tammy and Triggers. And I think you're going to put a link to a couple of things on your website. Um, yeah, I'm going to put it in my show notes for this episode yeah. so yeah. people can find out all about it in there. Yeah, so we have a, a free resource that we're going to give to you so that you can give to, to your listeners. Um, it, it's called The Real Reasons Why uh, I, I Feel Triggered by My Child's Behavior. Mm-hmm. And so it, it goes through well, you know, all the different kinds of trauma so that you can point to, oh yeah, that, that resonates, that resonates, that resonates. Um, and, and really see, this is not about your child's behavior. And so changing your child's behavior isn't necessarily going to be the thing that helps. Mm-hmm. So that's available for free. And, and yeah, there's uh, and there'll be a link to the, the course as well. Wonderful. That's so great. So thank you so much for everything. Is there anything else that you want to share before we end? If there is one thing that the parents take out of this, I mean, it's, yeah. I guess, sort of where we started when we when we started talking about this topic um, with, with the parent that said, when is my child going to grow out of this thing that drives me up the wall? Yeah. And, uh, and they may grow out of it and then they're going to grow into doing something else that is <laughs> <laughs> that touches you just as much. And so yeah. it, it's really in us, it's our responsibility as people, as parents to figure out what it is for us that is being touched uh, when our child is doing this. And, and what that enables us to do is not just show up differently for our parents, but sh- for our children, but show up differently for ourselves, in ourselves, when we're not constantly being yanked around by our feelings and, and whatever happens uh, well, I feel X and I can't help it. Or, you know, I'm now, and now I'm feeling Y and I can't help that either. Mm-hmm. That we can live in this much less reactive state where things happen and we can have feelings about them. And also we can cope with those feelings. Um, and it, it means that we're much more able to be in relationship with ourselves and others in a way that's aligned with our values. And mm-hmm. I think for most parents, that feels really good. <laughs> yes, yes. So the, the more we can move towards that, the happier we end up being as, as people and as parents. Love it. Such a great episode. I'm so happy that you were here. Thank you. Thanks so much for inviting me. <laughs> of course. All right. So I'll put all that information in the show notes and hopefully we'll talk again soon. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and you're ready to feel calmer, more confident, and more at peace in your family and life, I invite you to sign up for a free consultation with me to learn about how my coaching can help you achieve the exact life you want. You'll take the concepts and tools I share in the podcast and apply them to your own life. And as your coach, I'll be there to support you every step of the way. Go to lessdramamoremama.com forward slash mini and sign up now.